Hello, barbarians. We're doing another palaver today. That is what we decided to call these after we did our Halloween special. And this week, what we're going to be talking about is kind of a little bit of a hodgepodge of what makes a good game, what makes a good player, what makes a good DM, um, and how to build a good experience. Because there are a lot of people who seem to have a hard time getting into tabletop role-playing games or coming back to tabletop role-playing games, and we tend to hear the same reason over and over again. And what is that? I had a bad experience. Yeah, it seems to be kind of a universal issue amongst many gamers or past gamers. Yeah, you get, you know, invited to a group or you're in a good group or you just have, you know, a couple few friends that are playing and you hang out with someone else and you think they'd be a good fit and you invite them to play and they kind of demure and the reason is always um, not always, but usually the same if I had a bad experience. So I, I, I kind of feel like there's something to unpack there as far as what constitutes a bad experience that uh, is typically had. Yeah, and I think that part is probably a little bit different for everyone. Um, but we can definitely talk through some of the things that we've seen that are definitely kind of things to avoid probably in most groups and then go into the more important part of what's good and how to be better. And if you guys are really into any of these topics individually, we can also make episodes where we go in more in depth into some of those. But we thought we'd just kind of touch on this general topic this week since it's one that we talk about a lot. All right. So for you, primarily as a player in multiple systems, what are some things that have really turned you off of playing either a game or with a certain group? So I guess one of the most glaring things that you run into, and this might fall under another category of uh, role of the GM or similar, but um, it's when you have a uh, game master and whether that's the role of storyteller or a dungeon master or what have you for the particular system that's more focused in game master versus party that is uh very uh kind of toxic to me that you end up with this person that is uh that, that sees their role less as a mediator you know um and more of um like trying to kill the party or to stymie the party with their clever riddles or something like that. And it just really sucks all the fun out of it. And it can honestly make it actively like, um, you know, uh, contentious, make a little animosity where there doesn't really need to be any. Yeah. I've definitely come into groups, especially on the game running side where they are already used to the experience of it being GM versus players, that antagonistic relationship that you're talking about, where it's not about having fun. It's about like the GM getting off on like killing off a hard, like fought character or whatever. And uh, yeah, that's definitely not for most groups, a good relationship for 
the GM to have with the party, especially because I think that would make it really hard to have fun in a social way mm-hmm. as part of the game because you're building this very negative in-game relationship. Right. And it's it's also like uh it's just so hard to take it seriously. Like you're, you're in this uh, shared creative space where you're only participating in it, you know, um, in, in so far as your imagination is sort of synced up with the rest of your party. And that is sort of shattered when you have this like, um, you know, DM that, that constantly takes you out of that because it's always like, Oh, let me show you my, like what I can do. You know, it's like, we're, we're there, the center of attention, you know, and and they're just trying to like fight you, I guess the whole time. Yeah. I think that definitely takes us into another bad GM habit. And that's the, let me tell you the story of my people GM. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Where, They're not there to facilitate a group creating a story. They're there to tell the story they've already written. And so they don't really want the characters to make their own decisions or do anything outside of those boundaries because it's about them being able to share their vision. Yeah, you're kind of just writing a character in their story and you don't have any real agency in, in terms of what your character does. You know, and you should, that's something that I think you should always have, uh, as a player character. If you want to take like a running swan dive off of that light roof and it's six stories up, you know, you are free to do so. <laughs> like you can certainly try and yeah, chances are you're not going to make it. It's not going to go well for you. Uh, miracles could happen. And I think a good GM is going to think on their feet if something like that happens. You know, it's like, I'm going to take a running swan dive off the edge of the roof. And they're like, are you sure? Like, yes. Why? No reason. I'm just doing it. Uh, okay. And you roll like a critical success, uh, you know, in that instance. So now maybe you have like an Aladdin type of scenario with like, you know, lots of the awnings or whatnot or something like that. Um, but they should be able to roll with that kind of stuff, you know, and, and I think maybe that kind of drives, um, a fear of not being able to deal with that situation. So you end up with the, like, you know, let me just tell you the story and you just kind of listen and it's boring. (laughs) Yeah. Or worse, you try to do things and they tell you no. Right. Now that is definitely worse where you're like, I'm going to try to do something cool. And they're just like, no, I don't know how to deal with that. And they just like, um, I mean, I think worst of all, they get like actively frustrated, you know, like you're trying to play the game in the way that it's supposed to be played. And it's just like active frustration with you trying to play the game. And you're like, well, I mean, that's what my guy would do and can do. So what, you know, you're kind of blindsided by what the problem is. So, Right. Um, And I think that's also related because I don't have any issue with new GMs or people who aren't as experienced or as sure. I also don't think that a game necessarily has to be incredibly open-ended. I think it's okay to have an adventure that's linear, especially if that's 
what you're getting used to running and that's how you can help yourself stay organized. Um, but within that, the characters do have to have some agency and some opportunities to make decisions and how they handle the different things you throw at them. Um, and so that brings us to kind of one of my peeves as a player with a GM and then we'll get into bad players here in a second. Too. <laughs> right. Yeah, definitely. Um, but one who just isn't prepared. So not necessarily that, they don't know all the rules or anything like that because that doesn't bother me at all. Um, as long as you're willing to make calls, it doesn't really matter if you know all the rules. Um, but a GM who like in the middle of describing a scene is like going to 50 different pages to look stuff up or has to pause because they don't know where they were. Or if you ask a question, they can't really answer it because they're not prepared to think on their feet for those sorts of things or have the materials ready if they're that kind of person. And I know that's something that really takes me out of the game and the immersive aspect of it. Mm -hmm. All right. We can get back to GMs if you think of anything else. But let's talk a little bit about players. What are some issues you've had with players in your groups or that you've heard about? Um, it's, it's tough to say. Um, I guess the first thing that I that really jumps out at me is um, playing to win. This is uh, in my book also known as min maxing where you're not really concerned with anything about your character. It's only about the numbers or dots on the page on your character sheet. And you're just, you know, you do this and you do that and that's all you do and you're not very versatile, which it's okay to be like a one trick pony or one dimensional because flawed characters are the most interesting characters in a lot of ways. But when your min max are just designed to like, you know, address the meta of the game and you have it like figured out and you're not playing to enjoy Again, that that shared creative imaginative space, you're just playing it to kind of steamroll your way through the content. If you're in a group of people that does that and the GM is like, you know, wanting to make more uh, powerful consecutive challenges for that, then that definitely is, uh, you know, a good thing. Hey, if that's what you're into, right on. But if you're just one guy and the rest of the people are trying to have this like role-playing experience, then it uh, can definitely wreck things. Yeah, I also am not a big fan of, especially from the GM point of view, the arguer, but I think that also makes it difficult for the party members as well. Mm -hmm. Like that one person who has to argue every rules call that is made. Yeah, um, yeah or the rules lawyer. How, well, it's not even rules lawyer because, I mean... It's in the rules that, and we'll get to this, but like fun trumps rules, first of all. But second, that the GM can make the decision. And so at that point, if the GM says, hey, this is how we're going to run that, there's no argument with that. Like no one needs to go look it up and make sure it's right in the middle of the session. The GM made the call. Like unless it's like really breaking something, just roll with it. Just to keep it rolling. Yeah. You know? And then, I mean, also that's a, 
that's that's the fine line you know i feel like you have that aspect of the gm role but then you also have the like well you know then then you have that egomaniac you know gm that's just like trying to impose their will on everything and it's like you know it isn't one or the other it's it's both it's like somewhere in the middle where the ideal lies and then I guess another type of player that comes up a lot, especially right now, that makes a lot of people uncomfortable to play um, would be that player that everything has to go to like a weird, uncomfortable place. <laughs> like their characters just have to do weird, not even fitting in the setting stuff, like just to be like vulgar or gross or whatever. Like the So for as a for instance, like the bard that, everything they do and every interaction they try to seduce whatever it is just just as a for instance well i mean i think you can have a character that's flirty and seductive and that's how they play and it can work really well i think that some people take that to like an extreme level where it's uncomfortable Mm. because i think like that guy who seduces everybody doesn't matter who or what they are you Mm -hmm. know that can be funny to an extent um especially if it's played well and then the character has other things going on (laughs) um Uh but when you're choosing to say that your character is performing actions that don't need to actually happen in the game that go a little beyond what is acceptable or normal that can be really difficult at the table Okay. Like, and maybe, maybe with interactions with other players as well. Cause you hear, I had a bad experience from a lot of female players. Right. I mean, quite honestly, um, that, you know, there's, there, there's these ego issues, there's these control issues, but then, then you just also have just like, you know, sometimes you run into people that perpetuate the worst stereotypes of, you know, of a culture and so you know someone gets creeped on and or something like that and it just it, it colors their perception of the whole game like as a whole or that whole culture as a whole and then that that's their takeaway from that and that really is unfortunate to say the least all right so we've talked a little bit about a few of the things that have really bothered us or that we've heard about being issues for other people. Uh, So let's talk a little bit on probably a little bit more on this side of things, but things like what is the correct role of these different people and then how to be good. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So focus on the positive. Right. Yeah. So first let's just define the rules. Okay. Um, Yeah. We'll do GM last because I think that's kind of the bigger role as far as describing But to you, especially someone who tends to play in games, and I can talk to my experience with that a little bit too, what do you think is the role of a good player? So I think a good player is going to try to inhabit their character as as much as possible and act in a way that is like as close as possible to perfect as in line with what their character's motivations and strictures and flaws all are. And if you can do that, no matter what you're playing, you can make it interesting, not only for yourself, but for the people that you're playing with, because you're trying to generate this, uh, this scenario out of nothing. You know, you're, you're all making up this story together 
as you go along and you've made this character to play uh, his or her part in that story. So the more that you can be true to that, I think is a good place to start. And then after it's a good place to start, but then also you need a good like vehicle to do that with, but that might get a little more into like character creation and stuff. So I don't know if we're there yet. Well, I mean, just kind of riffing off of what you're talking about a little bit, and obviously I'm speaking about it a little bit from the GM perspective, but I think it's still fair as a player. Um, If you're supposed to be building a story together and reacting as your character to what's going on, um, part of that is also going to mean paying attention Mm -hmm. to the game while it's happening. True. So that's that's definitely another thing. And, you know, I mean, I probably have a... uh, I don't know, a a biased perspective on that, but I I mean, I get to see the game from both sides, you know, I get to see the nuts and bolts, you know, in the behind the scenes as you work on it and see all the time and effort you put into everything (laughs) to, to make everything. And then when we play, you know, when game day comes, right. And it's like the party's over and, you know, there's, all of the accoutrements that go along with that. There's food, there's drink, there's this and that, and there's socializing and stuff like that. Then when we sit down at the table, if, if someone is like, you know, just not at all engaged and they're just like looking at their phone or watching a Twitch stream or whatever it is they're doing. I mean, I don't obviously like, I'm not going to be, you know, the person who's like, Hey, you have to do this or whatever. Like you're, we're not watching you at a, I don't know, ballet recital or whatever, but, but by the same token, you put in a lot of time and effort. So when that's not respected, I I feel like, you know, it's a big sore spot for me. Hmm. What would you say? Cause we'll talk a little bit on my ideas. Cause I come, I'm trying with a lot of what I'm doing right now in running games to use some of my teacher skills. So I'm going to give some tips a little bit later on in this episode about what to do with your perpetual phone people, Mm -hmm. because spoilers, telling them to put their phone away is not always the best answer (laughs) because people are very attached to their phones. Yeah. I mean, some, some people to like an absurd, almost addiction level degree, you know, where you have this like hind brain compulsion to pull your phone out of your pocket or if it's sitting on the table and you think it's in your pocket and you feel for it in your pocket and it's not there you have like a a moment of panic where you don't know where it is i'm like I, you know i'm not an addiction scientist or a physician of any kind but i think just armchair those are like signs of like actual addiction right so you know i want to look to that i'm just saying So you talked a lot about how you think a very important aspect of being a good player is inhabiting your character and doing your best to make decisions the way your character would make decisions in those circumstances, understanding your underlying motivations and things like that. I just want to clarify for everyone that doesn't mean being a hardcore role player. Um, A lot of people, especially new people, are not comfortable I'm using quotey fingers here, doing voices mm-hmm. um, or speaking as their character. But that doesn't stop you from choosing appropriate actions in a narrative voice. And that's completely acceptable if that's what you're more comfortable with. You know, like in the case of your character in the new game, mm-hmm. it would be just as correct, you know, 
for you to say something in person and first person as your character, or to say, Il Mako walks to the edge of the water and blah, blah, blahs. That's also fine. Right. I um, wouldn't even have to do dramatic narrator voice. Right. You don't I have can, to. I can't help doing voice. <laughs> yeah. You I just have kind to. of instinctively do it. <laughs> but yeah, you don't have to in order to play by the rules, quote right. unquote. You can just say like, you know, my guy does this. My guy does that. Right. Or, you know, my guy would like to do this, or I would like for my guy to do that, depending on like, how sticky I think you're... he would try to. Yeah, there you right. go. All good examples. Like sometimes, like, you have to have that rapport with your game master. You know, like, do they, quote, let you, like, say, I do this, I do that, blah, 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 you know, or my character does this. You know, do you make those types of statements or do they, like, kind of take exception to that? Like, no, you tell me what you want to try to accomplish and, like, and then we work it out, like, whether or not what happens or whatever. Like, you know, there's there's the, those different degrees of stuff. And I think all of that's operating within the realm of acceptability, you know, right. in terms of you're not edging into the like, you know, control freak egomaniac GM, you're still in the realm of like cool GM, you know, he just, he or she just needs to, you know, establish that, that realm of, you know, acceptability in terms of like what actually happens. Cause sometimes it's more difficult to retcon stuff. If you say like, you know, my guy jumps up on top of the barrel and they're like, well, cool, make an agility check and you fumble it. Well, now you have to like rewind reality and be like, okay, you tried to jump on the barrel and, you know, fell into it instead. And now you smell like a pickle. Like, you know what I mean? Just for example. The other thing that I think is important to clarify in that is that it's okay, especially um, if you're new to character creation, or even if you're not, but just didn't have a lot of ideas based on what you knew about the adventure going into it. I think it's completely okay to not know what your character's motivations are until you start playing them, like to let them build motivations and maybe not have any that are intrinsically part of the character when you start. It's a lot of times more fun and easier to figure out certain things if those are already there. But if you don't have them, let them, you know, happen more organically. Just make sure you're kind of thinking about those things. Okay, how is my character reacting to this situation? How is it changing the way they think about things? And that will help it be more fun for you as well, because you are helping make a more fully fleshed, like truly designed character. Now, by the same token, it can also be fun and helpful to determine that stuff um, beforehand, you know, to think about some scenarios, you know, how does my character react to people who are unkind to him? How does my character react when uh, they see someone being unkind to um, a servant, for instance? You know, um, is my character patient? Is my character impatient? What are the things that set them off? What are the things that make them go, oh, like stuff like that? You can ask, ask all these questions of this character that you're imagining and kind of um, not necessarily, I mean, you can take extensive notes if that's the kind of person you are. You can write an extensive backstory about like a little thing they went through or something like that. Or you can just think about it so that when you're confronted with that 
uh, scenario, you will be you know, more in a frame of mind to address that uh, in that moment as that character as opposed to rolling with it on the fly. I mean, I, I think both are perfectly acceptable. It's just another approach is to kind of um, have that in mind beforehand. And the, the, the latter is what I tend to do. I tend to try to think about um, how this character ticks before I, you know, ride them, so to speak. And uh, that helps me out so that I can uh, play them more fluidly, uh, I think. Right, like I was saying, it's okay to do it either way, that new players shouldn't be pressured to feel like they have to go one way versus the other. Absolutely, yeah. Again, they're both perfectly valid, and there's just so many ways to come at it. I think what's most important is that you just kind of think about it, you know, one way or the other. Right, and it's all about, like, what you're comfortable with. Like, if if you're like me and you like being over-prepared for everything because that helps lower your anxiety about playing, like think about all of those things, have it all mapped out, like really know what your character's motivations and reactions are. Um, If you feel like you don't know what you're doing and you have no idea how to approach those things, pay attention to the game, start to react to those things as you go and build up from there. It really just kind of depends on how you're comfortable approaching it. But both are good. The thing you want to avoid is not paying attention to what's going on, not reacting, not having your character respond in a way that's consistent or makes any sense. Yeah, and just to to speak to what you were saying, I mean, that's why I do it. Um, I think that being creative in front of other people, even if they're your friends, is a very courageous act. Um, it's the same thing. Like if you write a story and like give it to someone, like, hey, you read this, like that that's really scary, you know, and that, that's, uh, that's something that takes courage to do and, and can give you like some anxiety about it. So I deal with it through preparation and so do you, but you know, there are other ways to deal with it and stuff like that. Just the first time that I tried that, I was kind of blindsided by it. So hopefully this is something that maybe will help other people avoid that. Like knowing that, what you're getting into and some strategies to deal with it. All right. For to you, let's say a player, one of the adventurers um, is coming over to a location to be part of a game mm-hmm. in your mind. What do they have prepared? What are they bringing with them? What are they offering to do? What makes a good player on that kind of preparedness side. So is that day one? Any day. Okay. Um, I think that like if you're showing up for a session zero, like character creation, I think you should show up with an idea of something you might want to play. You should show up with um, an idea of the game that you're going to play. Obviously you don't need to know the rules, all of them in and out, you know, I mean, I never, I never do. And, you know, just as a, for instance, but just, you know, the, the, the basic setting, if you're going to play vampire, the masquerade, you know what I mean? Maybe read like the Wikipedia synopsis of what like that game is, you know? And then also, um, gosh, that's, 
that's really it. Just a, a willingness, a, a basic idea of what you want to do and what the setting you're going to do it in is. It's nice if you have dice. It's nice if you have a pencil. But more than likely, you know, all of that kind of stuff are, you know, things that are going to be there. Number one, if they're not, they're not like ultra rare items or whatever. Um, and it's something that you're like, oh, okay, th- these are kind of tools that I think that I would uh, need next time. So for session one, you might go out and get some of that stuff that you like and show up with it later. But a good attitude and a general idea of what you want to play and a general understanding of what you're going to be playing that character in is probably all you need for a session zero to be a good player. All right. I guess I think of it more from an organizer's perspective. So I'd add a couple more things to that. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Besides being on time, that's always very helpful. (laughs) That's just generally polite. But um, no matter where you're having your game, even if it's in a public location, um, check with whoever's organizing it to see if there is something you can bring to share as far as food or snacks or drinks or whatever. Um, I don't think that should always fall on one person to handle. And it's usually a good kind of show of being part of the group if you offer to part like to bring something or do something like that. Yeah. Just a general rule of thumb. If you're going to a party, bring a sixer (laughs) (laughs) or whatever is appropriate to the location where you're playing the game and the group you're playing with. Right. Know know your audience. (laughs) Yeah. Like, yeah. If you're playing with high schoolers in a library somewhere, like don't do that. (laughs) Bring a sixer of cream soda. (laughs) I guess not to a library. Right. That's not cool. But, um, the other thing that I would say, and it's something that I think does get overlooked a lot, if you're, especially if you're going into a new campaign, keep in mind that at least one person has paid a decent amount of money for materials, whether that is printing and paper for the character sheets and supplies for people to run through and make their stuff, whether that's online subscriptions to things like Roll20 um, D&D Beyond, the new Vampire the Masquerade subscription site, so that everyone has access to the materials, or someone has bought physical books, which even if you're not talking about the core books, although like in our case, we have multiple copies of all the core mm-hmm. books to make sure there's enough to go around, right. which is a very pricey <laughs> endeavor. Yeah, I mean, those are 50 bucks a pop, like usually minimum. Right. And then every adventure book, if you're playing one of the established adventures, is about the same price. So consider asking like, hey, is do you need me to pop in five bucks in the subscription or you know, how, or how are we splitting this? Cause those kind of questions, even if they say no, you know, shows that you're interested in supporting the thing that's about to be run because someone is spending money so that you guys can play a game and not everybody is usually spending that money. So making some short sort of gesture is also very helpful. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I mean, nine times out of 10, they're probably doing it for the love of the game, you know? So they, just like if you go to a party at a some someone's house or whatever, you know, you you make the offer, they're like, oh, that's fine, no, or whatever. Every once and then, though, they might like really appreciate it because it might make the difference, you know, be between being able to maintain an online subscription and not being able to maintain it and stuff like that. So it can go a long way, right? Or even just in the case, like if you 
pop in and send that quick message before you head over every time or the a week before the game's going to happen or something like that. It also gives the opportunity, like we've had more than once, of like we're making dinner for our D&D&D. Um, Dungeons and Dragons and dinner. And um, <laughs> someone will send the text and be like, hey, I'm about to head over. Is there anything that you need? And I'll be like, oh, my God, I just realized I don't have an onion for this dinner or <laughs> yeah. I don't have enough pencils or whatever. And it's usually something really small and cheap. But if you can be the one to swing by and get that, you're the hero of the day in real right. life, too. I, I thought I had olive oil. I'm all out. Like, right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, that's totally happened. Yes, I can. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so just understanding that treating it like a social engagement And doing all that, like you said, the normal things you would do if you're going to a party or a get-together. Hey, man, what can I bring? How can I chip in? You know, even if that's something physical, like, hey, is there something I can prep for you guys or whatever? Offering to DM for a one-off session to give your dungeon master a break if that's something they need. Yeah, letting them play for once in their GD lives. So, I mean, all of those things, even if the offers are turned down, are great ways to kind of build up that rep, if you will, that goodwill, um, and make it a more positive environment. On the other side, things that I would expect a player to have coming into one of my sessions, if you're using paper character sheets, your character sheet. You should probably have that. You should probably be with you. Um, It should be up to date. Um, the other thing I would expect you to have if you're not using paper character sheet is your electronic device for accessing whatever information that you need. Um, and you know, just a readiness to be at the table. And I do think there, like you were, we were talking about before, there should be a little bit of a separation between everyone's getting there. So we're chatting, we're having some snacks and stuff like that. And then, we switch into game mode. And some groups, like, for example, Esoteric Order of Role Players, one of my favorite little podcast groups. Yeah, they're pretty great. They have a story candle. So they can be chatting about all the random stuff in the world. But as soon as their storyteller lights the story candle, it's game time. Nice. And everyone switches over into game mode. To the point where if someone goes off topic, one of the players will usually be like, the game candle's lit, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like they'll admonish them. That's super cool. And man, that would be super interesting to be just to be a part of, you know, because I feel like speaking of addiction, that's part of it, you know. Because the other side of that, I had a bad experience coin is I had a really good experience. And that's the dragon you end up chasing, you mm. know, with this game where you're just like, oh, man, that one time, that amazing thing. And just all the planets aligned. And it was this perfect storm of awesome. And this amazing shared experience happened between us, you know, and it was this perfect moment. And now it's gone. And it only exists in our, like, you know, mutual memory. And, and you, you want that again and you want more of that, but it's just, you can't force it. You know, the more you aim at it, the more it eludes you. You just have to kind of create and foster an environment wherein that can grow and, and hope for the best and try your best. And it's like, uh, it's so hard, but that's the ideal that, 
that you're striving for because when those moments happen, they're just so sweet. And to be in that environment, you know, like you're describing with the game candle where everyone's on board would just be super cool. Man, I don't know. Maybe, maybe we can get there someday. I guess the other thing I'm going to mention, I'm going to cross way back a little bit into the bad experience part and then talk a little bit about its counterpart, what I think a player should be. I know in one of the situations where I was playing as a player in a Dungeons and Dragons game semi-recently when I was doing some online games on Roll20, and I was in a game that was run relatively smoothly. Um, I enjoyed my character and everything, and I did an action as my character, and one of the other players got mad at me because it wasn't the most tactically sound move Mm, to make because I was doing something in character. Right, right. And so they chastised me. Oh, no. Like, Mm -hmm. during my turn. Yeah. And I think, and I didn't play in the game after that. Right. I I left the group. Because to me, I was like, well, I'm obviously not a good fit for this group because I'm too much like character and story trumps winning. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But I think on the other side of that coin, I think a player should be someone who wants the other players to succeed and do well as well, Mm -hmm. where you get excited when another character does something cool, not just when you get to do something cool. Yeah. Everyone hopefully gets a chance to do cool things. Right. But you should be like, again, paying attention, engaged to other people's turns and interacting with them when they get to do something cool because half of doing something cool is the other players be like, oh, yeah, oh, shit, that's awesome and stuff like that. And if no one's paying attention or if they're just being judgy because, well, you could have done this other thing because of this rule that would let you blah, blah. Like, no, just let them do their thing. Right. And it's okay to table talk whatever tactics and stuff if you're trying to beat a a boss or solve a puzzle or something like that but at the end of the day if that player decides like okay look you know i understand we've talked about you know the tactics involved and and what makes sense and what is rational in this situation but at the end of the day, my character would not do that. You know, my character would do this. You know, my character has a compulsion to do that or, or whatever. And you should be happy about that. I, I think like some of the best role playing I've ever had is with a friend of ours who played a cobalt rogue named Nix, who was one of the most awesome characters I've ever had the player, uh, pleasure of playing with. And Nyx, uh, in true like kobold slash rogue fashion, had this obsession with shinies and gold and jewelry and jewels and just valuables and stuff like that. And a lot of the times her actions would be, you know, directly counter to my character's best interest, you know, because she, by, you know taking the loot before the other, you know, characters could see it and just hoarding it for herself, took it out of the other characters pockets. And as a player, I knew that's, I know that's taking place. And I'm like, Oh man, that's like gold that, you know, my character could have. And I wasn't like, 
you know, pissed off about it or anything, but it's something that, you know, from that standpoint, you see that and you're like, logistically, I should be upset by that. But looking at it more objectively, you know, I guess not objectively, looking at it holistically, you know, as a player and as the character and stuff like that all together, it was just so awesome. I was so happy for her because she was just really inhabiting her character. She was like, this is what they would do. And sticking to that so relentlessly, you know, no matter what happened and playing it out, you know, and sometimes like my character would like kind of almost catch her and having those contested roles between perception and sleight of hand and stuff like that. And it was always like <laughs> the way it always played out was super cool because her sleight of hand was way higher than my perception. So I would always like totally be none the wiser, even when I'm like watching her steal stuff and i'm like there were times where i would see like oh there's this big pile of gold and then like oh wait now there's only four gold like where the rest of it go <laughs> like, you know stuff like well, that would happen be, it was so awesome yeah and another like she was a new player she had never played before mm -hmm. she didn't start out that in character no I mean, it happened over the course of a campaign right and a lot of it was enabled by how forgiving and patient everyone was with her getting into her character. Mm -hmm. The other players worked well with her to let her do those things right. to the point where at first, I remember at the beginning, she'd sometimes apologize or be like, well, I guess I shouldn't do that or whatever. Uh -huh. And everyone would be like, no, like no, it's what your character do, it's fine. Yeah, <laughs> do that shit. And until it got to the point where <laughs> everything her character said was in a voice, mm -hmm. um, she would try to get to the treasure first, dump a bunch of it in the bag of holding on her riding weasel, and then split the treasure in quotations with everyone else. So everyone thought they were getting a fair share. Oh, man, it was great. It, and then it was buy so you guys good. presents when you went into town and she felt guilty about it. <laughs> yeah. No, it was it was just great. And that's, again, that's fostering that environment wherein the cool shit can, can happen. <laughs> And that's what happens when you own cats. <laughs> that's the dog's bone. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's the... The branch. The branch toy made out of real wood, but not real wood. <laughs> so that that space that enables that to happen is just fantastic. And she could have just as easily had just a horrible, shitty first experience, you know, and entered the legions of I had a bad experience. Right, with people being impatient with her trying to figure out her roles and what she needs to add mm -hmm. and D, D is kind of notorious for being an adding shit and rolling lots of different dice sort of game yeah um whereas a lot of other games kind of simplify the dice rolls a lot more mm -hmm. um you know people could have been impatient with her doing things that were not a hundred percent for the group um you know people could have been annoyed with her being a kobold and the annoying stupid kobold voice <laughs> right which is my favorite there's a lot of ways it could have gone sideways yeah but and the ways that it didn't were just fantastic right and it made for a great game and for her to have a great experience where by the end of the game she had earned her wings and like all sorts of fun stuff got to happen for her yeah i mean I mean, I don't know. I kind of regret playing sort of a one-trick pony in that game as a wood elf ranger, 
you know, it, it would have been a lot more fun to be in there as like a tiefling, you know, sorcerer or, you know, another non-human race warlock or, or something like that. Some of the other stuff I've branched out to into since would have been way more fun in that scenario. But the cool thing is we all like learn from that sort of thing. And so now I have an opportunity in our next game to try and take it to that level. For sure. All right. We talked a bit about like what makes characters well and what makes players good. We'll talk a little bit about making a good character and how that can help you play. Um, what, before we get into that, do you see from the player perspective or as someone who's run some games before, what do you think kind of distilled is the role and function of the GM? Okay. So that's a really interesting question because the answer that springs to mind seems really one dimensional in that it's almost like I'm saying like, well, the GM's just there to be everyone's bitch, basically like, you know, keep track of all the numbers and all the health levels, all the initiatives, know all the rules, keep track of the story, entertain everyone. Like it it just seems like this really one-sided like service role. And that's not, entirely accurate i mean that's part of it but i think that all falls under the umbrella of like mediating the player's uh, collective experience with the world that either you know they've created in the in the case of some role-playing systems or that they're you know running a segment of you know in most other cases And that mediator role, I think, is a lot better way to characterize it because it kind of highlights how you have this active role in not only determining all of these numbers and all the crunch, but you also get to determine the why of things. And the why of things is something that's really really important to me. If I have a super high score in archery, you know, on my ranger, you know, I have like a plus 12 when I roll, you know, on that D20 system or something like that. Right. Like just, just for example, right. If, if I flub a roll, you know, especially at like a close range on a stationary target or something like that, I want to know why, you know, and that I think is part of, you know, the role of the GM in terms of mediating the world that way. And that also gives you an opportunity to interact with the world and your, you know, characters in it in, in a really satisfying way. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. That's a really important part of it. I would definitely call it kind of the facilitator of the experience, for Mm -hmm. sure. Sure. Um, Like, to me, a GM is... It's almost why I don't like the word, like, storyteller from the vampire system. Although I like that it invokes that you guys are building a story. Like, that's something I appreciate about it. Mm -hmm. But I don't like the telling part. Because... I don't think that the GM is there, again, to tell the story. They're there to give you kind of the the brackets, the scenery, 
that you guys can chew on as needed, <laughs> you know? <laughs> sure. Um, and then to react to the things that the characters are doing to allow them to to make those decisions that they want to make. So to me, um, a GM's role is to be generally versed in the system, like not a perfect rule font of knowledge or anything like that, but have the basics of, like for me, if I'm going into a new system, I look at how do you do checks? Because there's usually some sort of skill check system. What's a pass or a fail and how is that determined? And then what is the kind of flow for combat? And that's mm. something I liked about the Call of Cthulhu rules is they had a literal flow chart. Right. Um, and so how do you determine turn order? What happens next? Are there moves, actions, and minors? Are there, you know, how does that work? <laughs> and then what's a hit? How does damage happen? How does healing happen? What happens when it's resolved? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If you know the basics of that stuff, and then you know for whatever your resource is, whether it's electronic or paper, how to find other things, that's good enough. But you want to be able to do those things relatively quickly. And in a case where something is taking longer than a very short amount of time to find, being comfortable making a call that allows the game to just continue to flow in a way that yeah. makes sense. And there's a lot of, I mean, because if you have all of these unknown unknowns, you know, like knowing the basics is definitely a good thing. But if you don't know what the basics are that you need to know, that can be daunting. And the cool thing is just about every system, like you mentioned, Call of Cthulhu was going to have those basics kind of laid out for you you know like there's gonna be a guide to running the game saying you should probably know this this and this you know like something that comes up right. in D D all the time is like movement you know what i mean like can i half move act and then half move again you know what if i want to double move like you know that kind of stuff what if i want to half move and then three quarters move like you know right. what i mean <laughs> breaking up your movement comes up like all the time and so being versed in how that works which you are because i see you handle it all the time um is really important because you don't get bogged down in that nitty-gritty of it right but also you know yeah just being able to like you know it's more important to keep things flowing and to keep things fun and popping than it is to really get into you know the the whether or nots of this particular rule, you just kind of hand wavy it and, you know, and right. move on. So, yeah. And I think that's the important piece. Like a lot of other more, much more famous than I will ever be like game masters, uh, talk a lot about the use of like improv rules in dungeon mastery and things like that. And I think improv is very helpful in a couple of major ways. Um, one, the off-quoted, um, oft-quoted, my T's are not very distinct today. Um, it's my California accent. Everything just blends together. <laughs> um, but the yes and rule. Okay. So um, mistakes I have seen GMs make, 
and they have made them to you in a way that made you angry at the game and not want to play anymore for a while, Mm -hmm. is where you say, and then my character jumps up here and does this thing, or at least tries to, because my goal is to be able to do this. Right. So you describe it in a way that's great for a GM where you're like, my intention is. Uh And intention is important because it does two things. One, it removes that need to rewrite history Mm because you're saying mm -hmm. what you intend to do, whether or not that's going to work. Right. Right. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. the other thing is, and in some systems, this is even written in, like in the new world of darkness, you start combat by seeing what your intention is for the scene. Yeah. What are you trying to do? Mm -hmm. Um, Because that allows the GM to understand what you're trying to do. And if you are saying like, you're like, you know, so I want to jump up, leap off the railing, do a flip in the air over his head and land behind him. Mm -hmm. Okay. But let's say you were like, and I'm going to use my, you know, athletics to do that. Or I'm going to use my sleight of hand to do that or something that doesn't quite work. Right. Right. A very common GM reaction to that is going to be like, no, that's not how that works. Mm-hmm. But that's not helpful. Right. So the yes and rule that GMs can apply gives you the opportunity to say yes to your players and make adjustments. So you say, my intention is this, and I'm going to use athletics. You go, yes, you can try to do that. Um, but let's make that an acrobatics role. And we'll do it at disadvantage because he's seven feet tall. <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> yeah and you're a halfling so you're three feet six inches tall <laughs> right and so that also gives you the opportunity and this is the other thing that i know you've had issues with in games you know with me when i was inexperienced and with other gms which is you make the role and it happens or it doesn't happen and that's all the explanation right <laughs> like okay and then it's not your turn anymore. Right. <laughs> and you're like, wait, what? So <laughs> things to keep in mind, um, degrees of success and failure can be really helpful in understanding how you want to say or illustrate what happens. And so let's say in this imagined scenario with your halfling versus the seven foot tall creature, mm-hmm. you tried to make your acrobatics roll and it failed. Right. We can easily talk about how you were batted out of the air by the creature, how like you basically biffed off of his shoulder, how you had to change direction at the last minute because you anticipated he was going to make a move, which makes you seem badass even though you failed, Mm -hmm. right? Then you can get into degrees of success. You super made it. I have a couple of options. I can describe how crazily this flip went and how like many things like you swung off of and everything. Right. Or I can ask you how it went and let you describe the scene in a way that you think is fitting to your character. Yeah. Or if you weren't that successful, let's say you barely made it, right? Uh-huh. Your intention was to flip over the bad guy and land behind him so that you could have an advantageous position. Right. But you barely made it. In that case, especially with you being a halfling, I would say like last minute, you looked up at the height of the creature, realized that this was probably not a jump you could make, and did a quick tumble and dive through his legs, right, <laughs> reaching the other side. So not as badass, but still successful, mm. you know. 
Um, and so there are a lot of things that you can do with that just based on how the dice roll went. And again, if you're not comfortable saying all those things that happened or you don't really know what the cool thing is that the char- the player thinks their character would do, mm-hmm. ask them. You know, it's the Matt Mercer, how do you want to do this? Yeah. You know, and that's fine. And that sets up a really cool scenario, like all of those different options. And if you end up taking the tumble between the like, you know, ogre's legs or whatever, you know, um, it, it just sets up opportunities for like more flavor to build in the game you know as you're tumbling through here you know you happen to like look up and then you know that's really all you have to say for the table to be like oh no (laughs) you know what i mean right like like those those are kinds of consequences that uh that can have and i like to think of it as kind of like um that iconic scene in the matrix where the first time spoiler alert okay sorry (laughs) but there's this movie the matrix with keanu reeves it's from like 1999 or something like that but uh, in it, he turns out to be basically a superhero. So anyway, the first time that he like realizes that he can bend the matrix to his will and he dodges the gunshots on the rooftop of the building, like that iconic scene and it ends basically with Trinity, you know, dodged this, right? That whole scene. There's so many different ways. If that was a role-playing game that was being played by, you know, um, two characters, Neo and Trinity, a bunch of NPCs, the agents and the regular cops and stuff like that, and a game master kind of, you know, facilitating everything, there's so many different ways that could have played out. You know, if if you broke that down into like, what if this was a role playing scenario is kind of one of my favorite mental exercises. And it lets you see the potential of of the game master in a given scenario, you know, because Neo makes his like, you know, he has to make a the one role to see if he successfully channels the one and bends the matrix to his will and stuff like that. And it wasn't a perfect success. You know, he dodged the bullets, but he got nicked at least once and he didn't recover gracefully. He like fell flat on his back and the agent got to like come up on him, you know, and, and, and sneer at him only human, you know. All of that could have played out in a really different like way, you know, and, and that just could be seen as how after all the roles are made, the game master saying like, OK, you know, the agent whips out his like giant imposing like 50 cal desert eagle and just unloads it with uncanny speed at like at Neo and the bullets streak forward. But time plasticizes out and the bullets cut a spiral through the now jelly like air as he flings himself backwards in an act of sheer will and dodges every bullet. And from Trinity's perspective, he's just doing this like Kung Fu, like backwards wave, impossible lean back dodge sort of thing. And the agent is just like in disbelief because he missed and that never happens, you know, and then time snaps back together. You know, he falls flat on his back and the agent is able to recover in that moment because he moves at superhuman speeds, but he's distracted enough to where Trinity can get the drop on him. You know, that is super cool. And like, if that sort of scenario, that, 
the the ability to play all of the characters at the same time as a game master doesn't jazz you up then it's like that's the sort of thing that should i think kind of get your game master motor running is the idea that you get to do all of that stuff right which brings us to another role of the game master which is preparing an adventure um and there are a lot of different correct ways to do that um whether you are homebrewing something or running out of a book or whatever it is um some people are preppers and some people are improvers and all of those things are fine. Um, but a few key things to making sure that enough prep is done. One, like we said, kind of knowing the basics of the rules. Same's mm-hmm. going to go with knowing the basics of your adventure. It doesn't have to be on rails where you know they'll go from A to B to C because if you're able to roll with decisions the characters make, it will likely not go that way. But in that case, you should still have a general idea of kind of the vagaries of what can happen and where they might be able to go. Um, If you are running from an adventure, a piece of advice that I saw another DM post that I think is really good is read the whole adventure and then just reread the chapter they're about to go into. Hmm. Um, And do that for every new place they're about to go into. And that way... You've already read the whole thing, so you have an idea of the arc, so you know how things connect, but then you're focusing on just a small piece to keep your prep short. Some people like doing notes, and I used to be a really hardcore um, kind of outliner of adventure sections so that I had everything, because I'm someone who learns from writing and reading and hearing. And so for me, rewriting something, even if I never looked at it again, was helpful for me knowing what the adventure was. Nowadays, I'm much more of an improver where I have an idea. I have some notes about the specifics of what I have to introduce as in an area. And then I kind of leave it up to you guys from there. But one thing I like to have on hand at all times is character stats for the enemies and NPCs that you guys will encounter because I think it slows everything down if I have to go dig those up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, I mean, even, I don't know, I guess you can ask, but not having to ask gives you that kind of cool factor, you know? Well, no, I mean, the not the character stats as much, because I don't mind asking you guys for those, unless it's something where it's super secret, where asking you would ruin something. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as, like, enemies, NPCs, if you guys decide to get into a sudden fight with someone, if I know you're going to get ambushed by something, I should have those mob stats ready. Yeah, I guess it just seems that way because I, I feel like you only ever ask um, what armor class is, you know, mm-hmm. where you, mm-hmm. you make a roll, you know, um, because a, a monster is attacking a, a given character and... You know, then you ask that character, and what's your AC? And, you know, they say, or you phrase it in the light, you know. It's almost like you already know, and you're giving someone an opportunity to be shiny, you know. Where where you're like, and that's a 17 versus your AC? And they get to be like, "Eh, not going to get there. You know, not today, Satan. (laughs) So, actually, like, getting into kind of some tips and everything, um using questions even when you know what the outcomes are is a way to keep people engaged on that turn i could easily just narrate what's happening in a combat right because i know all your guys' stats i can roll dice 
I can mm-hmm. do the thing and I can say, he hits you and he does this damage and move on to the next thing. Um, but if I do it that way, it's not inviting people to pay attention. Yeah. Yeah. You're just kind of taking notes for you at that point. Right. So if I'm asking questions, even if they're basic ones, oh, and what's your stat for that? And do you think you'd have your shield up or something like that? Even if it's something basic where I already know what the answer is, it's keeping them in that moment, mm-hmm. even though it's not their turn. Yeah. Or if there's something that's like their character's built around, you know, even like a lot of times I play characters where a key component of how they roll is their stealth. So being able to move and behave stealthily was really important. So just again, like kind of creating that environment, the world, the opportunity, you know, where they, wherein they can shine and be proud of that is, uh, is really cool and important. And then I think the other thing to me, that is the role of the GM, and it still fits in with the facilitator thing, but beyond the adventure itself is facilitating the experience of the actual humans at the table. So that means making adjustments for the different ways that people think or interact or are most comfortable Mm -hmm. um, so that you're doing something that can help engage each of them as people so they can play as characters. Right. And I know you've seen me doing a bit of that for our new campaign because we do have like a new player in the group this time. And so I'm moving towards a style that is a little bit more visual and a little less tactical. Um, because one of the ways you can make D&D visual for the visual tactile people is having minis and a map. Right. But for new players, especially non-tactical, non-rules players, that's visual, but also confusing. Right. Yeah, it can be almost it's, a it's barrier. It's very crunchy, yeah. Yeah, it, it starts to look maybe like a little Warhammery, which... Much loved Warhammer, all respect. You know, I'm just saying one of the key tools that you have in that game is a measuring tape. (laughs) And you have like affect things that are certain like official lengths and stuff like that. Like that genre of game is very rules heavy. And just just because something's flat on a table with a grid or hexagon map, you know, and little minis doesn't necessarily mean that it is that crunchy, but you know, from the outside looking in it, it looks the same. You know what I mean? If you have, you know, star Wars battalion or whatever it is, you know, X wing, right. You know, and you have D and D, you know, what? 3.5, you know, uh, that was really like map and mini, like fourth edition was very mini. Fourth ed, okay, yeah, focused. Yeah, everything was so, movement, tactical minions, and right. Whatnot. And you had flanking and all yeah. that kind of stuff. So it's like from the outside looking in, and both of those systems are very, very different. But they look, I mean, you know, as a novice, they look basically the same. Right. Which is blasphemy to anyone who's into either one. If you walk into (laughs) like a game store that has a bunch of tables set up. Yeah. And on one, like you said, there's two armies on a board. Mm -hmm. And on the other, there's a bunch of PC minis and enemy minis. Right. It looks very similar. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just saying for the the uninitiated, you know, it's going to look the same. Yeah. And so being aware of that is, uh, 
is definitely a, a key skill, I think, that, you know, having in your wheelhouse would be very rewarding. So, yeah. And just to wrap up this part, and then we'll kind of go on to the next bit where we're going to get a little bit more into tips and things like that. The role of a GM kind of as I see it and as you see it from what you've been talking about is to mediate and facilitate. Mm -hmm. And for you to be good at that, it's not that you have to do it a certain way, but you do have to be someone that enjoys that. Right. That likes organizing, that likes being in the middle and solving the issues that comes up and figuring out how to make something work. You're a troubleshooter and you don't get to make that one character and play it. You get to have a lot of characters, but it's not always up to you how much they show up or how long they live, depending on the, the decisions the parties make. Yeah. And so you have to be willing to not shine in the same way that the characters can. Mm-hmm. Like you have to be able to enjoy it because of the success that the group is having or how they struggled and persevered and got through it. And we're all super excited about it. Like that has to be something that actually is fulfilling to you to be a good game master. And if that's something that you don't like and you get like hella FOMO, like when they get to do stuff as characters that you don't get to do and, you know, or you just feel really burnt out, you shouldn't run that game. Like you should take a break. You should let someone else DM for a while or take a little hiatus and refresh because that's not going to be fun for anyone, including you. Right. If you're doing it with like hate. (laughs) (laughs) Like it's your job at a call center or something like that. And every time it's a new player's, you know, turn, it's your phone going boop, boop. And you're like, ah. Right. You know, uh, and also just finding the joy in it, you know, whatever it is that you really like doing, you know, um, there's something in there. I think. And so finding a system, you know, and a GM style that speaks to that is definitely very possible. So just because maybe, um, you know, GMing in a given system or in a given style isn't something that turned you on, maybe there will be something that, that does. So don't be afraid to try again, I guess. Right. But yeah, if you're just hating life working on a certain game, Like, don't do it. And I guess before we get into tips in general, I'll say the one overarching thing that's true for GMs, for players, for observers, whatever your role may be, if you are not having fun in a group, there are other groups. It's not that the game is necessarily bad, but everyone has the right fit and the right people to play with and the right style, like you were saying. Mm -hmm. And you just need to find that. Like, don't feel stuck in a place where you're not really having fun. Right. Either you can talk to someone in the group about it and see if something can change. But if it can't or you're not even comfortable talking to them in that way, then it's probably not the right group for you. Yeah, looking out for that and being open to new experiences can definitely help. All right. So let's get into some kind of tips. We talked a little bit about what makes a good player as far as what we expect them to do and what to have and kind of how to approach the game. But a big part of that, like you were saying, is like building a character that makes it easy for you to be a good player. So what, I mean, and obviously system agnostic, we're not talking specifically D&D or Call of Cthulhu or World of Darkness. What do you think as a player, 
you can do to develop a good character that will make it easier for you to be a good player. And this might be a little counterintuitive, and it took me a long time to learn this, but to it's just to make an interesting character. And the way that you make an interesting character is they have to have flaws, you know, um, playing through a game like this as Superman would be, I mean, incredibly boring. It'd probably be a little difficult, you know, from both sides of the, of the GM screen, but also it just, it's just not enjoyable playing a character. Like if you've read, um, any Joe Abercrombie, you know, um, the, um, like the blade itself, the first law trilogy, any of those, um, there's a character in there, inquisitor Glockta, and he is deeply, deeply flawed and has so much going on there that, I mean, I wouldn't say necessarily dive into that deep end of a, you know, a flawed character off the bat, but just bear in mind that, you know, you're making a hero, you're making an adventurer. So yes, they're going to be more capable. They might be smarter. They might be stronger, faster, you know, made of sterner stuff than your, you know, average, you know, Joe on the street, but they also need, you know, something to balance that. And they need something that gives them accessibility in terms of, the inherent vulnerability in just being, you know, a character that can like die in a world, you know, um, which made Wraith such an interesting game, you know, but, uh, that's a discussion for another time perhaps, but a character that is interesting to play. And I think a good example is my Ranger from our last, uh, D and D and D game, that I just was way too focused on making this like awesome, like, um, you know, woods ninja who could like, you know, Naruto run through the forest and like be this like, uh, Navi like avatar archer and just like busting off all these arrows and stuff like that. I was just so enamored with that. I think I had just watched the trailer for, um, that great wall movie with Matt Damon and dude, man, uh, Oberyn Martell from uh, game of Thrones. And I was just like, yeah, badass archer, like right on. That's what I'm going to do. And I just focused on that so much to the point that I lost sight of like the salt and the spice and the other pinches of ingredients that go into character creation that make them interesting to play. And I just ended up really struggling to not, just be waiting for my turn so that I could roll dice to do like the one or two things that I do. And that was my own fault. That was like my, my mistake. And I was able to work with the uh, DM and correct that in a lot of ways, but it was still something that I learned a lot from in that, that if I had made a more interesting character with, you know, flaws and different abilities and foibles, I would have had a lot more fun. Yeah. And I think a lot of game systems do have things built in for those flaws and those interesting characteristics. Mm, Very much so. Yeah. To 
manifest. Mm -hmm. But I think what happens a lot in character creation is we spend a lot of time on the numbers and then we choose some of those other things. And then we as players and the GM right never look at them again <laughs> yeah yeah never look at it again or it's just a section of character creation it's like all right now choose a vice or a flaw or a whatever it's called in this system and there's like here's some examples right of like right. six things and those are examples and they're they're positioned as such but they end up being treated as like a list like for this like character background like you're a street urchin so your flaws might be like one of these six things you know um and these are examples but make up your own if you want or whatever and then you just treat it as a list and you're like um okay i think i like number 4 the best you know and and it it really takes away from your opportunity to come up with something like really cool that could come up later, but that you could also not, not only that could come up later in terms of the game master being like, Oh oh yeah. I remember like how, you know, you're really like messed up because you saw like your dad get killed that day. And that's why you're an orphan. It's like, and then you just saw your dad or something like that can happen. But also it gives you an opportunity to just be in that space of like, it doesn't make any tactical sense and it's going to screw the party, but my character would do this because of that. And that gives you those really, really cool opportunities to just trip off the awesome and, and, and have that happen and chase that dragon again. Right. And so I think definitely as a player, like really paying attention to those parts, putting them in a spot on your sheet or in your notes or whatever it is where you can go back to them is very important. And then again, understanding that they can change over time based on your character experience and build up or resolve or whatever it is. Um, And then on the GM side, for those things like to help make characters better so players have a better time as their character pay attention to that part of character creation for new people really talk them through it and make it as open-ended or as choice heavy as it needs to be so that they're comfortable with it. And then make your own notes about what those things are so that you can play off of them so that you can reward those choices, you know, with the story not necessarily directly mm. reward, but like right. in a hurt way, <laughs> like it hurts so good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, you just... know, just make sure that you're paying attention to who those characters are supposed to be. Because another frustrating thing is having a character you're playing as a character and you're trying to have a good time with it. But the GM just isn't riffing off of that at all. Right. Where, where you're laying it down and they're not picking it up. You know, and and you feel like, man, like I totally just like fulfilled my, you know, virtue or my vice or whatever, you know, and there's supposed to be some sort of something that happens. You get an inspiration point, you get like a bonus of something, you know, or it's just, again, just a story hook, just an option. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, an opportunity for, you know, the, this, the, the imaginative space to kind of expand a little bit around that and invest you more in your character. And then hopefully everyone else in theirs around the table. And then it just kind of fizzles and falls flat. And that can be very disheartening. 
So yeah, I mean, again, and not that there's anything wrong with a min-maxer to an extent, as long as you're making a character even through min-maxing that you're going to enjoy playing. Um, Where I think min-maxing can go awry is when it's done just to break the game, like that's your intention, is to break something. Mm -hmm. Or like in your case with your ranger sometimes, I mean, you had a ranger that functionally you didn't even have to roll your attack to hit somebody. Right. Like you could not fail because your modifier was so high. Yeah. But that's literally all you could do. But that's all I did. (laughs) I was like, "Uh, this is rad. I'm really, really good at what I do. But what I do is boring. (laughs) Right. And so like spending the time with character creation to make something shiny that you're interested in. And then on the GM side, if you see someone who maybe has kind of the bones of something down, but they're not really hooked by it yet, like if they're focusing more on the numbers, less on the other info, that's where I like to, like in our session zero that we did, for example, one of our friends, um, he had his character all done and he was pretty good to go. And he had chosen some basic background stuff from the available list so that he had some bonds and flaws and ideals and all of that stuff. And, but he had no real background. I mean, there are very few players like you who write a novel (laughs) for their background. (laughs) It was a short story at best. Um, (laughs) But, you know, but he didn't really have anything like that for it. And so Mm -hmm. I was like, cool, let me take a look at it. Awesome, it looks like you're the last of your tribe. How do you feel about, you know, you came back from a hunt and you found the remnants of them and you're, you've been tracking whatever did this? And he's like, yeah, that sounds cool. Like, and what if, you know, like, because we know that's your background, you would have been able to walk through your village and pick up some stuff. Let's give you an item to start with that's reflective of your people's. You know, and so rewarding them for starting to think about that more. I love giving extra items or extra things based on trying to do some background work. And then it gets to the point where, like, for you and for our friend Jessica, who's playing a cool character again this time around, you guys had your own ideas about what that could be. Right. Where, like, you knew you wanted to have your, like, family-specific hand crossbow. Yeah. And she was like, hey, I had this idea for this hat. And I'm like, cool, let's talk about it. And so I made the item on D&D Beyond for her so we could add it to her character sheet. But I mean, not all players are like that, but you can start as the GM to introduce those things to them. Like, cool, what kind of weapon do you think you're going to use? What if you found your chieftain's axe? What would you think about that to start with? It would have some cool abilities because it's your chieftain's axe, but it might be cursed, (laughs) you know, and Mm -hmm. kind of letting them make some of those decisions, but you're leading them a little bit to like get them into it. And really as a GM, remember facilitator, mediator, if someone has done the basics, what can you do in a way that's interactive to make that more fun and get them more into it? Mm-hmm. And, and then by the same token, if someone's gone, you know, to great lengths, you know, to invest a lot of um, detail 
into their character creation to you know you kind of honor that you know you want to oh, like yeah. take that into consideration now, obviously this is something important to this player because they put so much effort into it so you want to make sure and recognize and incorporate that you know just by the same token right um so that's definitely kind of like building a character that makes it easy to play it makes it like you want to come back and play them. You want to be there. And again, if you're really not having fun with your character, talk to your GM about introducing a new one or mm-hmm. making a big change um, because that should be okay. And it should be something they can work with you on to introduce in a way that doesn't break anything. Because if you're not having fun, you need to change something. Yeah, you need to switch it up a little bit, you know. And, and it can be you know, a minor tweak, it can be a major change. Anything from tweaking the existing character, like you said, to completely reintroducing a new character, both of which I think we've both done in various games and, you know, to, to a great result. It's like, ah, this is a lot better. It's a much better fit. So, right. Um, so kind of moving on to the GM side, I did want to save some of these tips for last because I think, it can be a lot more broad since the role is to kind of be in the middle of everything. A lot of these tips really depend on the types of players at your table. Um, And so again, we've kind of given a few about general ways that you can reduce your prep time while still being very well prepped. Um, The general then specific type of review. Um, Again, giving yourself just a brief outline of These are some things that they could run into in the area that they're in now. Um, These are some potential hooks based on decisions that they make. And then here are some scenes for them to play in depending on where they are. Like, don't feel like you have to plot out everything because you really don't know what they're going to do. And players players aren't going to have as much fun if they feel like you're pushing them in a direction. Um, sometimes they do need a little guidance being too open-ended can be overwhelming for some players, but you don't want it to just be like, and then you go to the inn, <laughs> you know, cause <laughs> they're like, why? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, keep that in mind. Um, again, kind of dealing with the different things happening around the table to keep people engaged. So one of the biggest issues I think GMs face right now and a big complaint that they have and even players have because it takes them out of the game is people being on phones or on screens in general and not paying attention. Um, And again, it is something you can talk about. You can introduce some basic elements like, like the story candle, the idea that while this is on, unless we've called a break, we're all in game mode, you know? Um, But the other thing is, instead of banning screens from your table, because that can have detrimental effects to people's fun, um, is what I like to do and what I try to do in my classroom and stuff as well, is integrating screens. Mm -hmm. So if you can encourage that the screen is something game related, it's less likely to be a distractor. So for example, if you are using Roll20, then everyone has their computer screen up so they can see the maps and see the pop-ups for the different items and the different monsters and everything. Mm -hmm. If you're using D&D Beyond, they have a great 
mobile interface. The app doesn't work well because it doesn't have character stuff on it yet. Um, but the actual website itself works quite well on mobile or on a laptop or a tablet or whatever. And they can use yeah. that to access their character sheet in a much more tactile, interactive, visual way. Um, having a lot of things on the table for them to stay engaged with. So it just kind of distracts from their phone or other screen. So as you know, <laughs> in this adventure, uh, one of the things that I'm really working on is having a lot to look at. Um, and so we have character standees, like little table place cards for each of the characters. So as you're looking around and talking to people, right in front of them, you can see who in character you are talking to and it helps you be in that moment. Um, abstract maps, because we're not using fight maps. Um, mm -hmm. So kind of general location maps, um, pictures of environments that you see, pictures of NPCs and monsters you encounter, um, lots of little things to like kind of pick up and look at. And then also one of the things that we're doing this time is for random encounters, because if any of you have ever mm -hmm. prepped out of mm -hmm. the abyss, you know that the random encounter table for travel is not most normal random encounter tables are roll a set of dice, like one type of die or combination of two dice, and that is the encounter. In Out of the Abyss, you have to roll one to see if there is an encounter and what type, again, to see which specific encounter you get, um, sometimes two of those, depending on what you rolled. And then you have to roll 1d6 to determine the size of the passageway, and 1d6 to determine the illumination, if any. And so there's literally five dice rolls for every random encounter, which if you're doing that around the table, can start to lose the attention of some of your players. So at our session zero, I made a little worksheet, teacher mode, um, where people were incentivized with bonus XP to pre-roll a bunch of dice that I didn't tell them what it was for. But I had a little chart that was like D20, D6, D6, D20, D20. And they just like filled in values. And what I did behind the scenes was I made those into a little chart of random encounters attached to character names and made little pieces of paper that go into our box that's labeled Fabulous Mystery Locations. And during the game, instead of us rolling a bunch of dice and then me having to take a couple of minutes to set up a random encounter, they will draw one of the pieces of paper out of the box of fabulous mystery locations. Again, something they can take turns with, pay attention to, be engaged with. That's very physical and tactile. Pull it out and it'll say which character gets the bonus XP for making that encounter and what the encounter is for me so that I know which one we're running. Um, and it'll make it go a lot faster. That doesn't work for all adventures, but just making little changes like that where you're like, how can I make this more visual? How can I engage people who need something in their hands? Like, what can I do to stop side, side conversations by making people talk in character more? Like, those are the things as a GM that will make your table go from kind of generic to really fun because the more engaged someone is, the more fun they're likely to have um, because people don't engage, get engaged with stuff that they don't care about. Um, so anything you can do, looking at the group you have, understanding who they are, that's going to help you out a lot. 
Yeah, we need to insert, how do I reach these keys <laughs> in there at some point. Right. Uh, definitely getting that emotional investiture is a challenge. And it all starts with character creation, you know, and, and that. But I think I think we're primed for, for a good a good sesh this next time around. I, I really do. And I think it's not just the optimist in me, you know, but that, um, you know, our group's really starting to like feel safe in that RP space of like, yeah, I can make a character I care about and I can ride this character in a big, bad way. Um, and like lots of cool shit's going to happen you know, and there's callbacks to the last time. And there's just so much going on here that I think it's going to be really cool. And we're really trying to, you know, be the change we want to see instead of forcing it. You know, it's like, you're not banning screens. You're not like, you know, Hey, pay attention. Like, like, you're just like making it where people want to do all that stuff instead. And, uh, I mean, hopefully it goes well. I, I think it will. Right. And it's like, much like comparing our pets to children. I know it's not always the best thing to compare like role playing to running a classroom. But there are a lot of similarities in that there are a lot of different personalities that you have to try to get on board with something. Mm -hmm. And if you think about even on the player side, you know, a teacher who just yells at you like, hey, no talking when I'm talking. Like, that's not the GM you want to have either. Oh, yeah. You know, that's Mm -hmm. not an effective way to get people to want to do that thing. You can cow them into, like, not talking for a while, but that's not a good experience. Right. I mean, especially when your friends, you know, outside of that, you know, or even when you're not. Like, you know, like, for me personally, I'd be like, wait, hold on. Like, who do you think you're talking to right right now? (laughs) Like, just just so we're clear because like you know what i mean because i don't respond very like well personally to being talked to like that even you know even if i was being like kind of a dick and having a side conversation when someone else was talking you know that's my bad true but the correction you know being positioned that way just doesn't have a positive result like you know right so being aware of that yeah it's super important yeah so just i mean think about those things at the end of the day even if you're not running a game for friends or you're not playing a game with friends it might be a stranger group or a purpose built group you responded to an ad where they needed another player or needed a dm or Is that your friendly local gaming store? And so you're just inserting yourself into a group that you don't really know. The idea is still the same, where you should be working on a level of interaction that's comfortable for everyone, that makes it fun. Um, And that's player end and GM end, because the ultimate final rule for everything is that fun trumps everything else. (laughs) It, It trumps rules. It trumps the story that someone holds so precious it trumps like the perfect tactical strike on that one boss or mob it's all about what makes the game fun because it's a game and that doesn't mean like in a dark game like a game of vampire for example it's not like you're having haha fun all the time but you're creating a story that you're invested in that you find super interesting that's compelling to you and that's fun it doesn't you know it doesn't have to be silly fun 
Um, and then in those cases too, to keep it fun, understanding what the soft line is, what the hard line is for what people are comfortable with so that you can be dark, but still keep it fun for everyone. Yeah, um, you know, those things are really important to understand. And mm -hmm. so really building a group where you can have conversations. And for me, it's a lot of, and this will come up in our first session on Saturday for the new adventure. There will be a few would you rather questions because I want to know what they think is more fun for certain things. And part of that is going to be how we run critical hits and critical fumbles or failures. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to give you guys a few options for how we can address those um, to do what you guys think would be the most fun. Um, okay. Yeah. So, you know, and it's because it's not always about making the decision for the group either about the thing about meeting and facilitating means we're talking about it and you should have a group you can talk to <laughs> that that's yeah. ideal. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. If you have a hard time just having a conversation, that's definitely something you probably want to loosen up, you know, beforehand, before the, the game candle gets lit, you know, you might want to, have a few Coca-Colas and, you know, exchange some personal anecdotes or something like that. Loosen up. Right. Get in the well, mood. Well, and like a lot of LARPs, like the big LARPs in LA and stuff like that for Vampire, one of their big rules is like we play these kind of crazy, dark, gritty characters in the game. And then afterwards, we interact with each other as non-characters, as people. We know our real names. We call each other by our real names. And we go eat pie or something, <laughs> you know. Pie and coffee. Because, you know, that will not only build those strong social bonds that help make that role-playing more fun, but also gets you out of that headspace of, like, just knowing them as their character, mm -hmm. which means that you can't really talk to them as a person. Yeah, there's very few problems that can't be solved over pie and coffee. It's they're kind of, yeah, great resolvers of many issues. Of course, assuming good pie and good coffee, obviously. Well, you know, I'll take mediocre and mediocre when necessary. It's <laughs> not as fancy as me, I guess. All right. Well, obviously, we've kind of talked kind of across the board of like, what are bad experiences that people have had? Um, like what we think makes a good player and a good GM, some tips we have for making that being good easier. And then again, just the general rules of like, have fun. Like don't do something that isn't fun for you. Um, if there are any of these topics or similar topics that you would like us to talk about in more depth, or if you have an idea for a topic that you think would make a good future Palaver episode, um, please feel free to drop us a line and let us know. We're on Twitter. I'm at Barbarian Rainey. I'm at Ringu Giri. And we are also um, on Patreon at patreon.com slash justbarbarianthings. And as we post new episodes and news and things like that, you can feel free to comment and let us know what you're looking for. And of course, if you want to support anything we do, that's a good place to see what your options are and get that done as well. Sounds good. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. I swear we'll think of an actual sign off at some point. Yeah. For now, just be polite and carry a big axe. All right. Good night, everyone. Good night.